Welcome to another episode of We're Spanning Time. This is a podcast in which we explore the films of a particular year. This season's year is 1995. I am Bud Catino. And I'm Beth Martini. For today's episode, we are covering the year 2023. Oh, what a year. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. You want to say anything real quick about this year? Gosh, I'm so excited about this year in film. Oh, man. So, you know... This year for like the entertainment industry alone has been absolutely fucking insane. Um, you know, we had the writer's strike, we had the SAG AFTRA strike, and we had like some major, major wins as a result of those two strikes that I think we're going to really see the fruits of labor as a result of that. Um, I think my favorite anecdote around those is that uh, Studio A24 banger of a studio never seen a phone from them that i didn't love um they negotiated with both the writers guild and sag aftra to get exemptions they got special dispensation from the strike because they were like oh you guys want to be paid a reasonable amount of money sure you guys don't want us to use ai in the writers room <laughs> fucking cool whatever and as a result Filming didn't stop on A24 movies. Uh, writers didn't leave the sets of A24 movies. So we got some extraordinary, quote unquote, indie films on top of like actual good blockbusters. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it's like, there was a lot of fear that like, you know, 2023, 2024 was just going to be a bunch of bullshit as a result because like films that should have been released got pulled and things like this but it actually turned out to be a pretty stellar film year i think the last year that i was like this excited about the film like new films that had come out was the year nebraska came out so i think that was 2016 2015 it was like one of those years where all the nominations were just all like so 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 good i mean and to be honest, even 2022 was great. We ha- fucking everything everywhere all at once as like a blockbuster film in the US. Like that's crazy. So, yeah, you know, me, let me take a look at some other ones from last year. Um, the and the 2000 years of solitude was or 2000 years of longing was last year. Uh, the menu was last year. Triangle of sadness was last year. Oh like, gosh. Barbarian. 2022 Babylon, and 2023. North smile uh, was green night last year. Green green night might've been 2021, but again, 821. So like, or 824. So like, you know, gosh, tar tar was 22. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Yep. I don't have to compare fucking Maestro to Tar. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> did you see Triangle of Sadness? Now we're just I did. okay. Now now we're spiraling fucking out of control. But let's just do it. <laughs> I like that movie. That was fun. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really really good. I think from the the between the two hospitality industry films of 2022, The mm. Menu and Triangle of Sadness. Um, 
I would say I loved the menu slightly more, but that's because I was in fine dining. And mm. to me, that shit was like, ah, it was so good. It was so good. Like, sure. We knew what was going to happen. Sure. There was a bit of formulaicness to it, whatever. I love Anna Taylor joy. I think she's amazing. I think she's beautiful. Like I love how far apart her eyes are. Like she's like the weirdest looking actress in Hollywood, I would argue, but she's gorgeous. Um, and so I think she was a really great addition to that film. Um, but yeah, the menu I thought was just, it was so tongue in cheek. It was so spiteful. It was so petty. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I loved every fucking minute of it. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, yeah, the, I, I agree with it that you, I agree with you that Anya Taylor joy is like absolutely captivating. She is there's, she's doing a new like ad campaign for one of the jewelry companies around town. And I'm like, I would just leave my wife for Anya Taylor joy. No, like hands, hands down, like no problem. No contest. <laughs> She's it's such like a, a freebie. That's yeah, how I and, feel. And, and oh. she's and she's such a good actor, and uh, just like everything she's in, she does just like suck like all the attention to her from everyone else. And she's yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, that, that's how I feel about um, Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. I would leave Trevin in a heartbeat. Also, weirdly, Matthew Gray Goobler. I, I love don't, him. I don't know who that is. He was like the nerdy doctor in uh, Criminal Minds for like 14 years. Okay. He's also an artist. No He's also, okay. oh, he was one of the interns in Life Aquatic. He he had a speaking role. Okay. One I'm of the have, only interns. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not look this up and I'm going to, I'll take your word for it. I saw, I, I saw Oscar Isaac on Broadway this year with um, that woman from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and they played, uh, you know, a married couple. Um, in this play called The Sign in Sydney, Brucine's Window. Mm. I think I might have just ruined that um, that title. But And like she just gets naked like in the first three minutes while they're on stage. Just like Oscar Isaac and um, that woman, just like hot babes flirting with each other, trying to have sex, you know, in Incredible. the midst of like some of social upheaval in, in New York City. That sounds great. I yeah. would watch that. So, yeah. So today we're here to review the films of 2022. What else? Smile was 23, really 23. We're reviewing 23, <laughs> not 22. Black, Black Adam, probably the best of the whole thing. Violet Night. Just kidding. The Batman. Yeah, last year was really good. But <laughs> um, what, what occupations? What are you reading, watching, listening, creating? So we we spoke earlier. You kind of redid your whole house, it sounds like. Yep. Yep. Uh, we, what, um, what else have you been up to? Um, so I lost my entire computer, uh, over the, at the very, literally like the day after my last semester ended, my computer died. Um, and, uh, so I've been kind of dealing with that. Um, just like I lost 18 months worth of work. Goddamn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of overshadowed a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, there's nothing like bursting into tears in an Apple store in Seattle <laughs> and crying so hard that uh, the manager brings you an entire box of tissues. <laughs> Just bawling. Um, oh, boy. So that I've been catching up on film and TV for sure. Um we, I finally, wa- 
So stupid. <laughs> okay, so like Fargo, the TV show, it has been a phenomenon for we're now going on like six years because there was a break. Uh, I got completely caught up on Fargo, the TV show, and we are now waiting for the last two episodes of season four to come out because we're not going to cliffhanger ourselves. We kind of have made a rule in that regard. Um, I watched Station Eleven, which was an absolute banger. Mm. Um, Interesting. It's uh, coincidentally about a world that suffers a global pandemic, although their global pandemic is like 99.9% of the world is killed from it. And it is like, what does it take to heal and survive in this post-pandemic world? And it basically is like art. Art is how you cannot do it without art. You cannot do it without artists. And it was beautiful. And it's like a loose allegory for Hamlet. And I am absolutely just like, I fucking love Shakespeare. Like I've always unabashedly loved Shakespeare. Um, So that was really incredible. Uh, Another thing that I watched that I'm not going to talk about because it is in my honorable mentions. So I'll hold it for then. Um, and then I, I've been crocheting. I, oh, uh, nice. yeah, there was like a weird yarn sale and I was like, fuck it. I'm going to just, you know, crochet in the evening time. And I've made one and a half pairs of fingerless gloves. Nice. Um, I okay. just haven't finished the second glove right. in the second pair yet. Um, cause house project, uh, But yeah, so like, you know, a mix of really being productive and also trying to do some nice relaxation. How about you? What are you doing? Boy, um, you know, lots of travel to weird places. Yeah. I I guess the most the thing I'm excited about the most is I kind of revamped my food blog, my food, my food and travel blog, um, which I've I've had for a while now. It's called you can find it on Medium at Nachos and Chardonnay. and when I first started it, I was like, oh, it'd be funny to have a blog about like how I get to travel to all these weird places. And I'm like a lonely, depressed person. And I just eat at like the hotel bar by myself. And isn't that kind of funny and clever? And then it turns out like that's not actually very compelling for anyone to read. It's not really compelling for me to write either. And so I kind of took like a step back for a while. And then like I was in Detroit at this restaurant called Mad Nice and it's like this Italian restaurant and I was in there and I was just sort of like, you know, drinking my gin and eating my pasta and I was like, this place is fucking silly. Like, look at this silly little fucking knife. And then I was just, you know, I just had this jouissance. I just had this avalanche of ideas and I was like, oh, my food blog could just be like I'm interviewing myself, you know, Mm. and I can just, you know, a set of criteria, sort of like how we do with this podcast, a set of criteria you know, kind of encompassing what works and doesn't work about a restaurant, what works about the, you know, the presentation and the craft of the food and what doesn't work. And, um, I do, I do, I eat out a lot, you know, I eat out like 10 times a week when I'm busy on the road and I do have like a sizable, um, you know, budget to do that from, from my work. And it is like my thing that I like to do for fun on the road. And when I travel is to go out to eat and, you know, doesn't have to be fancy it doesn't have to be scummy it just like whatever i can find whatever is a regional specialty i am really uh passionate about exploring those things am i on uh cholesterol medicine now yes i am uh 
Am I the heaviest I've ever been? That's also true. So I kind of revamped that. And just, you know, now the blog structure is like, what kind of fork, like what fork position is this restaurant? Is it like a continental or is it like American, you know, which yeah. is which is kind of code for like, is this like, is this respectable? How respectable is this place or how respectably coded is this place? You know, can you feel comfortable taking your friends or your in-laws or your parents or, you know, um, that sort of thing? Um, Who did you most want to beat up in the restaurant? Um, like, you I know. think one of those criteria for me in inevitably because of my like background is there's two like does this restaurant do a full reset between courses so like mm. do they take all of your silverware and all of the plates <clears throat> and then completely <throat> reset you that's like a marker of service standards or whatever and then do they care about how they refill your water? And this one's a very weird thing, but like there is this philosophy of open handed service that is at a certain level of like, like certain service directors and floor managers and stuff have this thing that like, if you are refilling someone's water or pouring wine, that's another example, and someone re- has to reach across your body, do they do it with their chest open to you or do they just pour it with whatever hand is the convenient hand to pour it? Mm. And those two things, they are incidentally always, I always fucking notice because of like having those things drilled into me. And like, those are, it's like, it doesn't matter. That's the other question I have to ask myself every goddamn <laughs> time I notice it is like, does it fucking matter? Doesn't even matter. And it usually ends up mattering if like, I also want to beat up the server. Right. If they're also a dick and they're also bad at their job and then they cross my body with like their closed, their closed arm. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm just like, fuck it. Yeah. This place only gets 20%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like when you're, when you're staging like a theatrical production, you're like, don't turn your back to the audience. Right. Right. Unless it's like for dramatic effect. Right. Right. Yeah. There has to be a reason. And a lot of times the things that bug me are the things that like are apparently careless. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. This one thing that I, especially with nicer restaurants, this one thing that I've, I've noticed, uh, I like to have like an appetizer drink, you know, like, sure. Yeah. I like specifically, I like a neat gin. Like first Mm. thing when I sit down at a bar waiting for my food, I like just pour me a glass of house, you know, lukewarm gin. And (laughs) it's a weird one, dude. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I don't care. I like it. I love that about you. (laughs) Call it a martini. I don't know. continue you like your glass of lukewarm gin yeah just fucking room temp gin you know it can Mm -hmm. be nice i'll I'll do like i usually do like a hendrix you know nothing crazy um and and then i you know it's rare oh so i'll be like okay i'm drinking this gin i'm like okay here's my appetizer here's my main course 
and can you help me pick out wine? They're like, yes, do this like house Cabernet. You know, you're getting the fucking whatever steak or Cavatelli or whatever. And then I'm like, cool. And so what I hate is then they bring me the wine immediately. And I'm like, no, bro. So A, now I look like a freak because I have two beverages. And like, I already know that I'm a freak because I'm drinking fucking uh, lukewarm gin. I'm aware of what's going on. I know how it looks and that's fine. But, you know, okay, a glass of gin, that's slightly debonair, a little Mm -hmm. psychotic. But a glass of gin and also wine, that just you look like a fucking an out of control lush at that point. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And also, like, I don't want to drink that wine. That's I, I chose that wine to go with my main course. Yep. Yep. And I don't want to have it with my fucking broccoli like appetizer that you're going to serve me. Like I want it with my fucking, you know, my main. So it's it's rare that I find a server. Maybe it's because I sit at the bar and bartenders aren't as like tight about that sort of thing. But it's they rare that they, be. they should they be should. right. You would think yeah. so. But yeah, um, so that's a big complaint of mine. That's yeah, you get points marked off. That yeah, sure. that, that's that's that is that is justifiable that those <laughs> points, you know, and there's uh, there's also like I'm more willing to give a pass to places that are not cosmopolitan when they pull shit like that. Like, sure. you know, but if the ticket price is a certain level, if you're in anything resembling a large city at this point. Like, you should fucking know better. You should know better. Like, you should know better. Absolutely. There's the, uh, like, for better or for worse, the expectation of dining out. And here's what I will say. This is what I will say. I think that if you had had this exact same job that you have now pre-lockdown, your experiences would probably be different because a lot of the people who did know better got out. And then as a direct result of that, not only are you not being like, not only are your bartenders not the people who should know better, but they weren't even trained by the people who should know better. Right. So we have this like cascade of bad service now because people like myself, people like Trevin, people like a lot of our colleagues, we all got out. We retired. We got fucked over by our fucking all of our respective hospitality uh, establishments. And we said, fuck you, fuck this, I'm done, right? So like, and now anybody who's like, yeah, I wanted to be a bartender, but I couldn't get a bartender job. It's like, you couldn't get a bartender job because the people who are fucking doing the hiring saw through your bullshit. The only reason you have one now is because there was no one there to stop you. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so we're going to have this entire generation of shitty service people because all the good ones left. (laughs) It's the lost generation of service people. Truly, truly. Yeah. yeah, So I've been working on that. That's very exciting. I've been writing more and that's really great for my mental health. Um, Just fucking journaling and I've been craving writing and yeah, I'm excited about my blog this year. I've been reading like just Martha Wells, just like all fucking year. Like that's it. Um, and my girl, Martha, her fucking murder brought diaries got picked up and, uh, is being becoming a series done on Apple TV. Oh, um, good. so that's, 
I'm so excited. However, apparently there's just all white people behind the camera. And I shouldn't say that that's probably that can't be true entirely, but um, and I don't want to be like erase anyone who's not a white person behind the camera, but they chose Alexander Skarsgård to play the titular role of Murderbot, who what a hunk. Yes, don't we all love him? But murder Martha Wells is a straight cis white woman from Texas, and she writes by and large queer Afrofuturism and None of her characters, especially not in the Murderbot universe, are white. Like, none of them, really. Um, And say what you will about white people fantasizing about the future of humanity as being some sort of, like, uh, everyone in color being, like, different levels of, like, brownish. You know, say what you want about, like, that whole idea. But she really has always written from the perspective of marginalized people, whether it be their culture, their what they look like, their sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, And that's what's truly magical about Martha Wells. And that's what's truly magical about Murderbot, who, in effect, is this sort of big... um, Murderbot is young and they're like a teenager. They have no gender. In a way, they're kind of gender fluid, but they have no gender. They have no sexuality. Um, and uh, almost certainly, if in order to blend in with everyone else in that world, they are most certainly not white. Um, and they and Murderbot describes everyone else in, in like different shades of brown and black, etc. And so, um, I think like Alex Garsgard reads so male. And he reads so white and straight that I think it's really doing a disservice to the character to to cast him in that role. That tracks. I will say that his range, like, it was Alexander Skarsgård in It, right? Bill Skarsgård. Bill. Okay, I was going to say, because, like, Bill Skarsgård has, like, a very, like, effeminate face yes he's a pretty boy so uh, in a way that could be you through makeup and cg be but like the thing is is then we're getting into that same problem of like why wouldn't you just cast someone who is non-binary if you're gonna make someone look non-binary right yeah i yeah i i would um choose sheila a team See, do you know this person? She was in um, Woman King. Oh, uh, fucking slept on that movie. Oh, you didn't see it? No. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. She would be my pick because I've seen her in sh- like some Shakespeare stuff. Yeah. She's a she's a British actor. Um, she's tall. She's athletic. She's super powerful looking. Yeah. She's feminine and also masculine she has short hair um that would be my choice um yeah because she's also a fantastic i mean alex gargard is a great actor also but yeah i don't know so that's my big bone to pick (laughs) with that casting but oh my god i'm so excited because i love murderbot diaries i love i'm i'm working through the stories of the raxura which is just these big it, it, these stories about these sexy dragon changeling people who all live in trees and they fuck their friends and they have queens and they have consorts and they have Fuck all yeah. this magical shenanigans and it's they you know it's it's just a whole lot of fun um that's you know Mar- martha wells has a, a big a big body of work that you can just plow through if you need to 
Yeah, and, I, like, I do. And good times and bad, say, perhaps if, you know, you <laughs> need a, a bit of escapism. Also, I mean, not even just that. They're intellectually well done. They're beautiful pieces of art. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, you you want to get right. into talking about this year? Yeah, let's fucking go. All right. So I... <laughs> Uh, I wanted to review this year because boy, what a year. Uh, so I think we're going to do what top five, bottom five. Um, what else? I can't believe I didn't see this. I just couldn't, which is just movies that looked so terrible that you just didn't want to touch them with the 10 foot pole. And then honorable mentions, yeah. I think. And then we will rate, you know, our year on a scale, a typical scale here at we're spanning time one to 500. Yep. Do you have a number one? I don't know that I had a number one for my top five. I think I just sort of like. I also I didn't because my top fives are all really, really memorable and like valuable to me for different reasons. Um, There's, you know, there's some nostalgia. There's some just pure filmmaking there is storytelling you know and so like for me it's really hard to to do like best picture of 2023 because like right you know to me it's very subjective and i don't know um i also don't feel like my list is complete because i have a very long list of movies that i didn't get a chance to see before recording for various reasons so um I did as best as I could with what I did see effectively. Yeah, yeah of course. We're, Which was we're, still like 17 movies. Like that's, cr- that's crazy. And those aren't even just all the movies I've watched in the year. Like I watched 17 movies that came out in 2023. I cannot remember the last time that I saw 17 movies that came out in one year. And that's not even all the movies that I watched this year. So like, to to say like there's still probably 10 or 12 films that I didn't get to see from 2023 that I'm really excited about seeing that's crazy to me like that is truly like I don't like to make grand proclamations of like the golden age of cinema but like 2023 feels like the start of something extraordinary yeah I I mean I I saw 39 movies that came out this year in that's theaters. so crazy I saw fucking 30. No. Okay. So just sorry. Last year, which was, you know, a fucking last week ended last week. I saw 39 movies. So movies that were released in 2023. um, I saw 41. That's so wild. And that, and that also is not counting other fucking movies I see on like a Delta flight or like at home or whatever. Right. Um, yeah fucking boy what a year this was such a hard this is like i said earlier this is the hardest podcast episode i've ever had to prepare for because narrowing it down and i'm sorry like our google doc looks fucking insane because i just like had to sprawl all my thoughts and my words all over the page in order to like narrow down my top five um because yeah i just there and, and yeah easily 20 more fucking films that I would I need to see I feel like right. I need 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 to see right. this year so do you want to just do one for one do you want to go first and then you do one sure. I do one so and yeah. so forth okay cool so I'm just gonna go in order of how I wrote them down it's no particular order of having seen them or what I think is the best or whatever uh so my first film 
that I put in my top five for the year is Asteroid City, um, directed by Wes Anderson, write, written by Wes Anderson, Roman, Roman Coppola, Coppola. Wow. Speaking is hard. Uh, cinematographer Robert Yeoman. Um, and then, of course, the cast, classic Wes Anderson, ScarJo, Schwartzman, Tom Hanks, who's a new addition to the Wes Anderson universe, Maya Hawk, also a new addition, Jeffrey Wright, who we saw in um, the uh, the one about the New Yorker that's not the New Yorker. God, what the fuck? The one about oh. the newspaper. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know uh, why my brain's failing me. Well, uh, French Dispatch. Yes, French Dispatch. Yes. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, who has been in so many of Wes Anderson's films. Um, yeah. So I loved it. Uh, some people would say that it is Wes Anderson at his most Wes Anderson e, but um, pretty sure people say that after every single movie that he makes. Um, I think he's my favorite director in a lot of ways. Because, you know, he's sort of like the Scorsese of our generation. Like he has such like a quintessential style. His movies have all come out through very formative years of my life and most of us elder millennials. Um, And they've progressed in like, like they've sort of grown up with us too. Like Bottle Rocket and Rushmore were very different films than Asteroid City. but so, uh, although he is my favorite director, I would say the movie is also objectively good. Um, it's very beautiful to look at. It's a very entertaining story. He once again has ca- has cast and directed child actors who kind of steal the show a little bit. Um, the the way that he gets people to just bring themselves in a different way uh, is really extraordinary to me. Um, I know we're like doing like just tight reviews on these. So I do want to plug one of my favorite sort of YouTube video essayists, Thomas flight, who did a really incredible sort of breakdown about why um asteroid city is extraordinary um so definitely go and watch that because it's he's very very thoughtful in his film criticism um and yeah that's that's probably my first that's my first one on my list i did really enjoy asteroid city that was it was such a gorgeous movie and yeah like speaking to what you're saying about how we have grown. He has grown with us as we have grown up and become adults. Yeah. Uh, and also like he's, well, he just insists on framing, you know, his films around characters, especially this one that are actors that are our age, you know, ScarJo right. and fucking Jason Schwartzman. Like that's, that, that's people of our generation. And right. they're, they're also struggling with what it means to be a middle-aged person and how to go through life successfully and to be happy and that sort of thing. And yeah, it was fucking so fun. Like, it's such a gorgeous movie. Well, I was just mentioning Sheila Atim. So I will talk about All Dirt Road's Taste of Salt, which was a small independent film. This is me being kind of smug because, like, this is a small independent film. Um, it did. I definitely don't think it had wide release. And I met the cinematographer at a party that we had at our house recently. And then I was just, like, looking through the IFC lineup, uh, IFC Center lineup, and I 
just saw his name. And so I went to see the movie and this is like an absolutely gorgeous movie. Um, that I didn't even write, like I didn't write any notes on it, but <laughs> so I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> so this is an absolutely gorgeous movie. Um, it's all black and white. It is directed by Raven Jackson, uh, written by Raven Jackson as well. Cinematographer, Joe Mofrey, um, cast Charles McClure, Sheila team, Moses Ingram, Reginald Helms, Jr. Kaylee, Nicole Johnson, Chris Chalk, Zainab Ja, Preston McDowell, Janie Hampton, Jai Henry. And, that's kind of the entire cast. It's a small movie, um, kind of takes place, seems like in the South in a black community. And it's kind of focused around a young woman who is just kind of going through life. And the thing that I, I loved about it is that it's, um, the film is in un, told in a nonlinear fashion. So you see snippets of her as a child and you see snippets of her as an old woman or an older woman, a middle-aged woman with gray hair. And it just goes back and forth and it unfolds the story of her life in this nonlinear way, which that was the most strike, one of the most striking things to me about the movie because that mimics how a life is lived. If you think about it, like I don't, I also don't live my life in a linear fashion. Like I live in the past and I live in the future and I think about my past self thinking about me in the future and vice versa. Um, I'm very cognizant of like living that way and how people, you know, that's, that's how people experience the world. Right. Yeah. Um, it was shot beautifully the, the way um, that, you know, the cinematography was framed, was very like evocative of what it means to be like a child and a very evocative of what it means to be like a teenager walking through the woods with other teenagers. And just everything was designed in such a gorgeous way to really make you feel like I'm like a horny, weird teenager. I'm feeling, I'm growing into my body. I'm developing and like the freedoms and the anxieties and the fears and the passions that you feel throughout all these different phases of life through motherhood and childhood and the death of a parent and all these sorts of things. And what it's like to witness, experience your parents, like loving each other and, and, and just how just, it's just very evocative of like how to live in a body you know? And so that was an absolutely gorgeous movie. No, it was just such a great movie. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, I, I think my top five, I really chose because like ultimately the criterion was like, did I want to spend more time with the movie? And, and all these, all these movies in my top five are just movies that I just had to spend more time with. I just like really want to go back and revisit. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see that movie again. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up that nonlinear narrative uh, because I think like 2023 might be the year of the nonlinear narrative. Sure, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because the films that like all, let me, I just, I want to like, the my top, like my tier one films, all three of them are nonlinear narratives. Okay. Um, You know, Asteroid City, it has like this crazy sort of like jumping back and forth between reality and like the, the like behind, behind the scenes, behind the curtain sort of thing. Um, same thing goes for this next film that I literally just watched. So it's very fresh in my mind. Oh, but Killers sick. Of the, yeah. Killers of the flower moon. Um, uh, <laughs> Directed by Martin Scorsese. Writers were Eric Roth, Martin Scorsese, and David Grant, who wrote the book. 
that this was loosely based off of, or at least inspired by. Cinematographer was Rodrigo Prieto. I think that it would be doing a disservice if I didn't also mention that the editor is Thelma Schoonmaker, uh, <clears throat> because the editing of this film was just out of control. Um cast Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone. Um, there was a bajillion other people in this film, but um, it seems insane to list them all. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, honestly, this movie was a whopper three and a half hours, like fucking year. We like turned it on and I was like, okay, we're doing this. Um, I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater because of life. So I watched it at home. Um, but it, for anyone who's living under a rock, it tells the true story of the reign of terror in Osage County, uh, when in the 1920s, after the Osage nation found oil on their reservation, uh, over 30, it's not exactly clear exactly how many in the things that I read, um, uh, Osage tribal members were murdered for access to their head rights. Um, so for anybody who is not intimately familiar or hasn't seen the film or hasn't done research very briefly in a nutshell um the osage nation was the only uh tribe that negotiated uh this the purchase of their reservation from the u.s government in the 1890s in oklahoma so they actually owned the land collectively um when oil was found then they sold the mineral rights uh, through um, what's the word for it? Royalties. Yes. So um, Osage Nation was to receive royalties on the mineral rights, basically. The way that this was accomplished was through something called head rights. There was 2,190, I think, some number in around their number of head rights, and that was a fixed number. So like if someone died, that head right went to their next of kin, which essentially created a system for uh, fraud, embezzlement, and treachery because, like, these white men came in, they started marrying native, like, full, full blood, full blood uh, Osage men and women uh, to then acquire their head rights through accident death, whatever, right? So this is like, this is happening. Um, and it was kind of all orchestrated by um, Earl, I think was his name, by who was colloquially referred to as King Burkhart, the yeah. uh, king of the Osage Prairie or whatever. Um, the, so this is, this is the story, right? Uh, but the film was actually originally inspired by a book that was about the newly formed FBI. Uh, kind of halfway through or a quarter of the way through the first filming, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese in collaboration scrapped the entire original script and rewrote it from the perspective of Molly and Ernest Burkhart's relationship because it served the narrative better. 
it was more true to the duality of evil that is sort of classically Martin Scorsese's um, uh, interest, right? Throughout his entire over over how do you say that word? Oeuvre? Oeuvre? Oeuvre. Oeuvre. I don't know. I don't speak body French. Of, body of work is how I would body say Body of it. work. <clears throat> he talked, he like really like analyzes and dissects that duality of evil. Um, but so, you know, the thing that I thought was special and extraordinary about the film and the storytelling was how cognizant it was of the role of white settler colonialism in the downfall of this community and how culpable it was in that. Um, And like in doing some research, I read a quote that was, I believe in the Washington post from the chief of the Osage nation, the current modern chief of Osage nation. And it was um, effectively, this was our story to tell we just had the best people in the world at the time to help us tell it. And I think that that is what made this film so powerful. It, the, the cinematography was incredible, but like the editing really is what I think does it because they used this really interesting mechanic of showing something happen without any context getting through 45 minutes of the film to the context of the thing happening, cutting back to the scene that we haven't, we haven't had that visual perspective on into the current moment. So like a death, a narrative, like an, a voiceover, a, like a vision of the, of the land, some kind of thing. And it's like creating these like blippets of moments where you're starting to put things together. And it was just, it was just incredible. It was so incredibly done. And Lily Gladstone, she is just a powerhouse. The subtlety of her was just incredible. She would have just these moments where she would just make like, the smallest little grin, the smallest little grimace, like just like the most delicate facial change that told an entire story. Um, I was, and I was glued to it. I was glued to the film at an hour and a half. I was like, Oh my God, like how could they possibly have two more hours worth of story to go? And then by 30 minutes to the end, I was like, how are they going to wrap this up? (laughs) You know? And it was just, it was just, yeah, it was extraordinary. It's going to win like a bajillion awards. I can already see it. I think that's probably true. I mean, I I would assume that she would get best actress. I fucking hope so. I fucking hope so. Um, yeah, she was absolutely riveting. Like, you know, she's fucking stole every scene from Leo DiCaprio. She stole every scene from everyone yeah. uh, throughout the whole movie, even when she was fucking literally dying and puking in bed. Like, she yeah. just... You know, for kind of like the second, you know, or the middle third of the movie, she's like just like, yeah. you know, a fucking gray E.T. in the ditch, just like yeah. in bed, actively being poisoned by her husband. Yeah. And 
which just like ratchets just like such a huge amount of tension throughout right. the, whole, the whole process, which makes the movie like really move in such a great way. But yeah, Lily Gladstone was great. I love this movie also. Um, but I, uh, it wasn't because it was so long maybe. And also because it just was, it's a beautiful movie, but so uncomfortable and oh, so yeah. many, awful things happened yeah the, it's not really something that i want that i like want to see all that often it's not something i'm gonna be like oh hell yeah like i'm Putting i'm just like back oh, on. i'm just gonna put that back on because it's an investment like you gotta gear up you gotta like eat your weedies and like make sure you stretch before you you watch that movie yeah um uh you know i would say that lily gladstone if she doesn't get it i would say um carrie mulligan and maestro how do you like that for a segue oh um, good segue excellent she fucking, job. i mean she is like the lead of the movie maestro which would be like you know my number two in my top five um directed by bradley cooper written by sam and josh singer cinematographer matthew libatique uh costume design mark bridges makeup by kazuhiro um who like you know he's just badass costume or makeup designer he did benjamin button he did darkest hour how the grinch stole christmas norbit just to name a few of his uh of his credits but he's like fucking amazing did you see this movie i didn't no it's really worth a watch and it's really worth a watch if you could see it you know in a proper theater yeah um just obviously for the leonard bernstein uh score sound design of it all yeah um and you know i'm not a classical fan or anything but like you know it's a story about a closeted homosexual who has a marriage and a partnership a creative partnership and and like in a way like a romantic partnership and a family with um you know carrie mulligan and uh it just was such a fucking delight like the sound design was amazing bradley cooper's performance was just like magical and effervescent and even though yes he's like a man who's like kind of hiding this aspect of himself his his sexual orientation um it's like he was hiding it yes and also not hiding it it's like you would be a fool to not understand that he's queer um and just you know these these people that you have in your life that are so dynamic and so creative and artistic and have so much personal momentum they really draw everyone along in their wake and and bradley cooper really um was able to portray that and in his performance mulligan definitely still steals his lunch um you know like similar to lily gladstone like she is the most captivating person in the scene even when she's with bradley cooper who like looks like he looks like an amazing snack all the time even with like a fucked up floppy neck you know when he's older she's still she still is like such a good actress um and what's what was crazy i thought was like she's like she was able to convincingly portray her age throughout the movie and the movie takes place over the course of like probably like you know 20 30 years and like she could be like old carrie mulligan or like, you know, she could be like early 20s or like mid 50s and like they didn't even have to do anything. It was just her fucking bearing and her performance and like not a lot else. And she was able to convince you that she had aged in these ways. Um, just like based on her posture and like her facial expressions. And like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, previously, to I wrote this note last night and I said that. The, um, I cried the most of this movie out of any of this year. Um, that's not true. And we'll, when we get to my next one, I will tell you uh, the one I actually cried the most at. 
that sounds great. Um, uh, so this is okay. Speaking of crying, excellent segue yet again. Just kidding. That was a terrible one. Um, uh, I expected to cry at this film and I didn't, which was shocking to me. Um, but it's Oppenheimer, uh, director Christopher Nolan, written by Nolan, Kai Bird, and Martin Sherwin, cinematographer Hoyt Van Hoyetema, cast um, Cillian Murphy, uh, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr. Um, so yeah, I Barbenheimered. Pretty much everyone else I knew also did it. So I went Oppenheimer first, Barbie second. Um, and immediately after leaving the theater i was like wow barbie incredible like shocking didn't expect it to go that way didn't expect it to be a critique on the patriarchy didn't expect it to be a critique on capitalism but the gravity of oppenheimer uh no pun intended really hadn't settled in um like Oppenheimer has lived sort of rent free in the back of my mind for months since I've seen it. There will be moments where all of a sudden a scene will just pop into my head and I'll be like, Oh yeah, that happened. Um, uh, but like, you know, I think a lot of this had to do with editing Jennifer Lame edited this film um or i i think it's pronounced lame it might be lame i don't know um but the way that she like used that non-linear narrative to tell this story of the effectively like the rise and fall of oppenheimer um was really really fascinating i'm also really um sort of I'm very interested on a sociological level of McCarthyism and the the duality, like the usage of uh, artists and scientists by the government as propaganda and then persecuted by that same government. It's really it's a very fascinating idea for me um, because it's kind of happening again in a lot of ways it's more centered on in just persecuting intellectuals rather than using them as international propaganda but um the there's there's this one scene that like no one has really talked about and i don't understand why but this scene where uh you know Oppenheimer has just been told that his lover died mm-hmm. by apparent suicide. And then there are these cuts of her drowning herself. And there's just this one tiny flash of a gloved hand holding her head underwater. And it's like that one scene reinforces this idea of reality what was real how were the things that he imagined and how were the things that actually happened intertwined and you know that speaks to sort of nolan's whole thing of like questioning everything what's real what isn't 
but the editing was just it was just so good it was so much like how you know catastrophizing actually happens in the human mind and we're seeing it playing out on screen the the other scene that just sits people a lot of criticism was like well they didn't show the horror of what his decisions did they they aggrandized him this that and the other thing but they didn't have to because of the scene in the like clubhouse like in the like the camp counselor house auditorium after the bomb had been dropped at Nagasaki and he learns the true impact of it and all of the sound leaves the room and it's just silence and it's just him and it's these flashes of reality of like the the gravity the 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 horror of the situation and it's like that's that was true that was his truth in that moment and that speaks to the terror and the horror and everything and so like i think that what made the film extraordinary was this inability to distinguish between memory and imagining and creating this world of like uh, misguided optimism because that's really kind of what Oppenheimer's life was, was this sense of misguided optimism and the pursuit of pure science, which is impossible in a capitalist society. <laughs> like pure science doesn't exist. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why that's how Oppenheimer made it on my list. I enjoyed Oppenheimer. I did a Barbenheimer also. I did it the wrong way. Um, a lot of times we kind of talk about how my drinking drinking is a little reckless. And I went to Barbie first and I brought um, like a flask of whiskey and I drank the whole thing during Barbie. And I shared it with the like four or five women that were sitting in my row that were all wearing pink and they're all like my age. And I was, mm-hmm. I kind of shocked, shocked them by cracking open the flask of bullet bourbon, um, you know, yeah. like whatever, 1130 in the morning or whatever. But so I was a little tight by the time I got to Barbenheimer. And I think actually, yeah, like we were even supposed to record Bar Oppenheimer last time I was in Chicago. And I think, yeah, it, I think yeah, so. So I saw it again, but yeah, it was definitely one of the top movies. It definitely was enjoyable, but I think similar to Killers of the Flower Moon, I was just like, I don't know. This is not something I want to sit with again. Like, this is not something that I like want to revisit anytime soon. Although I did watch it twice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fucking definitely a stunning movie. It's it's a big old yeah. Christopher Nolan movie. It's just like right. fantastic. And the visuals and the the sound design was just amazing. And y- yes, did everything. Did, I think he's he must be getting away from it because people can't help but mention that he just you know, using fridging as, as a, using dead white women as like a thing to propel the narrative is just like getting a little old, bro. Like, I think, I think maybe next time you don't need to do it. We kind of do that for everything, but, um, you know, Emily Blunt was fucking fantastic. Incredible. This was also a big year for like, uh, boy, is it hard to be a wife to one of these great men films? (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) So, and I feel bad because, and I think like that and 
you know, Penelope Cruz and, and Ferrari kind of did them a disservice. I don't think they were written good enough parts because like Emily Blunt's yeah. fucking fantastic. Yep. Uh, like, you, you could have done a gender swap. She could have played fucking Oppenheimer for all I care. Like she would, she could have done a better job. Even I think um, Penelope Cruz is such a full fledged, like three dimensional actor that, you know, as, as Enzo Ferrari's wife, you know, she did great, but it, it just was frankly like two dimensional. And I, I, I would have liked to see her do something else. Um, yeah. But yeah, will I probably watch Oppenheimer like when I'm visiting my in-laws at Christmas time? next year probably i think that's like one of those movies yeah if you have some sort of dad you would uh you would watch that um flip side perfect segue uh this morning i got up and i watched godzilla um which was directed by takahashi yamazaki written by same cinematographer to be clear godzilla minus excuse me godzilla minus one um cinematographer kozo shibasaki cast uh, i'm gonna ruin all these names so i apologize in advance uh they're phonetic ryunosuke <laughs> kamiki hiritaka yoshioka minami hamabi hamabe kuranosuke sasaki yuki yamada i this was the movie that i cried the most at at the movies this year just at the end sobbing like actual sobbing i I had an emotional year. My father died this year. So I'm a little emotional right now. And just like, it was just me and this Japanese woman at the end of the movie side. We were both, both solo film watchers in the same row, just just sob, both sobbing together, but separately. Um, This movie fucking ruled. It looks great from the first moment that the movie starts. It just like you can tell it's CGI and it's fine and you don't really mind it. Like it's the the ocean water is kind of fake, but it's still like, okay. Godzilla Godzilla looks great. Like he keeps on getting bigger and he just is really fucking ferocious. But at the same time, he's just an awkward pear shaved man kind of walking around, like knocking shit over. It's, it's a little silly. And I think that they did not shy away from kind of sh- like designing him to be a little bit silly. He's got kind of like man boobs and he's got a big bottom and like, he's a little like dumb looking. Um, I thought that was great. Like the costume design was fantastic. Uh, the writing was really good. I think where the acting could have been like a little melodramatic and people are just sort of like, shouting at each other over emotional things i think that the the craft of the writing and the human emotion was like really solidly portrayed um the costumes there again you know going back this is like 1940s like i fucking love all the costumes i started i started shopping at this company in san diego called imperfects and they're like these bros i like am loosely associated with them through uh the studio where i used to make my surfboards back in the day it's like all the same sort of like type of person a gang of people and they do these like fucking cool jackets that are like inspired by 1940s like work wear jackets oh sickening yes and like I can run and pull one on for you, but uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to look it up while you're Yeah. It's called imperfects. And they're like, it's like a cross between like a 1940s, like world war one, world war two jacket meets karate gi meets like something that you would throw on to do work around the house. Um, 
And like, I got a couple of those jackets. So I'm just kind of into that style. They're boxy. They fit well in the shoulders, but they're a little baggier. They're boxier. Um, the pants are great, but I got a couple of their jackets. I bought jacket jackets for like my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. Cause I'm like, you know, we, we need to update the, the uniform. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to share it with everyone. So yeah, just getting into the style of that era. Um, yeah. And Godzilla, like it's, it's truly, you know, my friend Flavia is staying with us right now and she was like, how was Godzilla? And I was like, it's great. It's about forgiveness and it's about like forgiving yourself and forgiving your culture and, you know, accepting love wherever you can find it in the most unlikely of places. And, you know, um, being nice to yourself and it's about dignity and courage and that sort of stuff. And yeah, just fucking, I highly recommend that movie. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. It's, you know, people will say it's kind of like a heist movie, I suppose. Uh, but it's also just like a fun action packed film, uh, in an era where like, you know, most action stars in Western movies are just like weird pumped up testosterone guys. Like, these action figures are like emotional and they cry and they're don't look like they spend 40 hours a week at the gym and they're just like normal people doing sort of like heroic shit. Um, yeah. So highly recommend. Um, yeah. Trevin really buried the lead on this one. I think actually the marketing people buried the lead on this one. And I was like, I don't need to go see a Godzilla movie. Um, and now in retrospect, I'm like, I was a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> it's not too late. It's, I mean, I know, I know, I, I know. And I, I will see it for sure. Um, but the the funny thing is, is I just talked on the phone with my sister last night and she's like, yeah, I went and I saw Godzilla minus one. And I figured I, I discovered that the minus one was minus one Godzilla because he's not fucking in the movie at all. And she was like annoyed because she didn't feel like there was enough Godzilla. Hmm. She was like expecting it to be like a Godzilla movie. Um, and I was like, well, then you need to watch Monarch Legacy of Monsters because I've been watching that show and it slaps. Hmm. It's really, really good. Um, and yeah, like, uh, so yes, it's uh, everything I've heard about it is absolutely extraordinary that it's really, really heart wrenching. And, you know, my next movie is heart wrenching for a completely different reason. Um, my last two top fives are very much like not high cinema at all. I'm just going to say that because I am a person of dual interests. I love really thoughtful, really beautiful, really artistic things. And then I love trash. (laughs) Uh, uh, But so guardians of the galaxy volume three, just fucking so good. I loved, I love guardians of the galaxy. I think that in the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, Guardians is the best story that they've been telling on film, like on the big screen. Um, directed by James Gunn, he was fired. He was brought back. Like he, they couldn't have done this without him. He, it, Guardians three could not have happened without James Gunn. Um, written by Gunn, J- Jim Starlin, then of course the eponymous Stan Lee. You know he is the creator of all of these characters. R.I.P. My dude. Um, Cinematographer was Henry Braham um, or Brom. I don't know. Cast uh, Chris Pratt, Chick- 
uh, Chikwudi, Iwuji, Bradley Cooper, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillan, um, popularly known possibly by a certain segment of the world uh, as um, Amy Pond from Doctor Who. And so, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous that this is in my top five, but it was a great movie. It was a great movie. I laughed. I cried. I cried a lot in this movie. Like I cried a lot. Like Rocket's backstory was just fucking heartbreaking. And also knowing that it was the last Guardians movie was kind of heartbreaking. Like it's like the end of an era, you know, um, this was for sure James Gunn at his gunniest, like king of hallway fight scenes. And boy, did he fucking deliver like that, like crazy tentacle monster hallway scene. It was just so, so good. So funny. And just, yeah, I just, I loved it. It, deal, it dealt with grief. It dealt with loss. It dealt with, you know, what is it? like to continue living um you know some of the one of the other most like sort of impactful quotes about grief also is weirdly from the mcu like what is grief if not love persevering you know like that was from fucking wandavision and everybody's (laughs) like and and now it's like gets quilted on fucking these like wall hangings i don't know so yeah it there's not like there's not a ton to say i mean like the cg was fine the the acting was what it needed to be you know chris pratt is chris pratt about it but like it was good it was a really good really fun movie and i loved it for what it was so yeah yeah, people were kind of latching on to the rocket backstory as like, oh, they're just tucking in your heartstrings with animal cruelty, and I, I didn't, I didn't really think that that was actually the case. Um, yeah, it was a fun movie, fucking fun movie. I kind of made the mistake of not watching it a second time because the first time I watched it, I did like the whole trilogy all in one sitting at the movie theater, like a fucking psychopath. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's and it, honestly, it started late. It started at like. 6 p.m. or something so like i think i went into guardians of the galaxy after like watching one and two and then i think it started at like 11 p.m. so Oof. i can't say I don't, I don't think i could say much about this movie i i believe i enjoyed it i think like when we, i first when it first came out you were like oh i love it and i was like yeah i think it's okay i'm not really sure and that's probably because of <laughs> how i watched it um but uh yeah like that last the the end the end is fucking wonderful when they're all dancing yeah. together and yeah. yeah that's it's a very heartfelt movie and and yeah everyone's moving on and surely we this won't be the end of our friends the guardians of the galaxy you know surely we'll we will see those characters again although who knows what the mcu is going to look like in the future going forward right fucking seems these these you know it doesn't really need to be mentioned that it seems like these superhero movies are imploding over the last couple of years. So yeah. we shall see, but you know what? And I was thinking about that. It's like fucking fine. Give me more Godzilla. I, there is actually another Godzilla movie coming out this year, but give me things like Maestro. Give me things like, you know, killers of the flower moon. Give me things like more movies, just like poor things. Did you see this movie? 
I haven't seen oh, it yet. You got to see I'm this movie. Rare. It's on my list. On I can't believe I haven't fucking seen yet. Go see it in the theaters. Also, Yorgos Lanthimos was the director, written by Tony McNamara, cinematographer Ryan Robbie Ryan, cast the fucking you know the amazing Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, Rami Youssef. Um, fuck. This is probably the most remarkable movie, remarkable movie that I saw this year. Um, I, it kind of takes me a while to cogitate on my thoughts after I see a film and really have anything good to say. But I walked out of this movie and I just had all sorts of things to say about it. Like it's Yorgos Lanthimos. Like I always like his movies. You know, the favorite was really cool. I think that was his last thing, one that came out. Um, Killing of a Sacred Deer. Even though they're always like awkward and weird and gross and uncomfortable, like just the way that they're shot, the lighting, the cinematography, this movie in particular, like just the fucking set design was like so great. The production design was amazing. The set dressing was just all the all the intricate details of everything. It's sort of like this weird Baroque steampunk period piece, not a period piece sort of situation. It's fucking gross. It's corporeal. It's perverted. It's sexy. It's like I said in my notes, it's like Barbie with pubic hair. It's Barbie that it's, you know, Super Mario Brothers, but hornier. It's just, you know, lots of sex and really gross shit and good writing and good directing and like excellent fucking, um, you know, excellent performances by all the actors. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is sort of like, uh, 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 no spoilers i really i want to go in with okay. like as little okay. knowledge as possible that's what i've done with all of these movies well, as much as i can fair, fair um so you know mark ruffalo is like on some sort of level like such a sweet guy that he's almost like take he's like almost becoming kind of like america's dad almost like tom hanks was previously you know he's just such a sweet man sure. and uh, suffice to say he sort of subverts that image that he has cool um, you know, it kind of slows down in the second third of the movie, but it's still such like a fun movie that it, it really maintains momentum. It's got a great ending. Um, just, you know, we I don't really want to compare it to Barbie because they're just very separate movies. And I don't think like either is any more daring. I think that they both really I think they both accomplished what they set out to do just in kind of vastly different arenas. Um, You know, Barbie was quite daring in what it did and and caused a lot of bullshit and shenanigans and controversy and discussions. And I think maybe, and maybe in a sense that was more successful politically than poor things was or philosophically because poor things was because poor things is just some fucking weird movie by Yorgos Lanthimos. And I think that Mm -hmm. in that context, people aren't going to, be as divisive about it as Barbie was, but I think that it's just the most fun movie probably I saw this year. Like I highly recommend it. Um, I definitely want to see it again. Uh, it's just, yeah, fucking, it's fucking blast. Amazing. Um, my last top five movie is strictly a top five movie because of my own sort of nostalgic feelings about this series of films. Um, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, director James Mangold, writer Jez Butterworth, John Henry Butterworth, David Cope. Um, I apparently look, I remember looking up the cinematographer, but I f- didn't write it down for some reason, which is very weird. Um, cast Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller Bridge, Mads Mickelson, uh, several other notable people, but so. <laughs> 
Was this a great film? <laughs> no. Well, was it a was it a great sequel to Raiders? Fuck yes, it was. Yeah, sure. Like hands down, this is the sequel to Raiders that we have been waiting for. This is like it was perfect for that. For that purpose, it was fucking perfect. Like I have a Raiders of the Lost Ark tattoo. It was mine and my grandmother's favorite movie. Like it was it was like I could have done without anything else in the fucking Indiana Jones franchise if I had only had Raiders of the Lost Ark and Dial of Destiny. The casting was perfect. Like uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is an, an an analog to Marion. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen as like the fucking Nazi, like so and like the casting, perfect. Like it was so fucking fun. We learned about that, you know, Indian Marion had a had a son, and Indiana Jones pissed him off so bad that he went and fought in a war and died. Marion left him. Like we got some time travel. We got some fucking redemption. We got Phoebe Waller Bridge being hilarious and hot. Like it was great. Ten out of ten. No notes. <laughs> Fucking... <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. It was wonderful. I cried. I laughed. It was it was exactly the end of Indiana Jones that we needed and deserved. And like fuck Crystal Skull. It was trash. Hated it. Didn't didn't even really love like Holy Grail like that one wasn't very good to me, but like, mm, Chef's Kiss. Yeah, yeah, it was fucking fun. Also, you get to see a hunky topless fucking Harrison Ford. Like he can still get it. Fool, he can still get it. Fool is eighty years old and he can still get it. He's still hot as shit. Oh God, it was so good, and it was just like, it was just like okay. I love a time travel thing. That's just like, I love them. I think they're so silly. They're so fun. I love when we get to see new takes on time travel. I love when we get to see new takes on time paradoxes. I love the fact that the Dial of Destiny was never going to take them to any other time than the siege of, what was it? Uh, It's Sicily, I believe. Yeah. And like, the, the, that that was that was that was like that was always going to happen that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I loved the delusion of Mads Mikkelsen's character being like, "I'm going back to kill Hitler because he did it wrong, and I can do it better." Like, just absolute, just unhinged. I loved it. I loved it. I, it, it was wonderful. Marion, she still looks banging after all these years. That gray hair. Just everything. I mean, did we need to bring Jonathan Reese Davies' character back? I don't know because it's kind of racist. Is he like not um Egyptian person? Is he's, that oh he's a Welsh actor? No, oh yeah. He's okay. Welsh. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. He's super like, yeah. Um, <laughs> he does have like yeah, he's He's like uh, only ethnically ambiguous for being craggy and he's been craggy for the last 60 years or whatever. So 
Yeah, exactly. Salah, yeah. But, like, Karen Allen, still crushing the game. You know, um, fucking... I I really was just deceased at how incredible Mads Mikkelsen was as Dr. Voller because when you put each of these characters up against um like against their analog character in uh Raiders like mm-hmm. they look the part like you know like we even had like a a kid sidekick but he wasn't annoying and he wasn't a trope and like also a racist yes, uh, another racist thing yeah yeah, I mean, th- there is, like, the one thing of, like, there's a line where um, uh, the Helena is talking about him, and Indiana Jones is like, who the fuck is this kid? And she's like, well, um, he tried to steal my purse, and then I tried to steal it back, but he didn't let go, and we've been together ever since. Yeah. You know, and, like... Oh, like, she's, yeah, she's being passed on the torch, can, like, in theory, right? That's kind of the whole idea. Right, yeah. right. I mean, I would watch an entire franchise of her as the new Indiana Jones in a fucking heartbeat. Yep. Would watch. Yep. Love. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, I loved it. My it's my top five. My friend Joe Finkel and his wife, who is a short Korean woman, um, will dress up for Halloween as Indiana Jones in short round. <laughs> Go to parties, which is really funny. <laughs> She gets like the baseball cap and he gets the like leather jacket yeah. and the, you know, the fedora and all that. Incredible. It's really great. I would love to see a photo of that. <laughs> it's pretty good. I have seen The Killer, which is directed by David Fincher, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, cinematographer Eric Messerschmidt, uh, cast Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, a bunch of people, Charles Par- Parnell. Those are kind of like the big, you know, the main main actors. Did you see this movie? I might be watching this movie tonight. I wanted to see it so bad. And then I completely fucking forgot what it was called. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause the killer wants you to forget all about him. That's kind of the whole point of the killer's whole thing. Um, I've seen this, this movie came out this year. I saw it in fucking theaters. I have seen it at home. What, like twice. Probably I saw it on a fucking plane. I made my sister-in-law watch it with me and she hated it and talked shit the whole time when we were drunk. Uh, this movie's fun. This is like this is my most rewatched movie of the year, and Hell yeah. it's just it's a David Fincher movie. Like there's it's yeah. it's fucking cohesive. It moves good, you know, great. Fuck. It's all green and yellow. It's all like slightly less green and yellow. It's more yeah. It's more of like a blue blue scale. But okay. you know, Michael Fassbender is always a sight to behold. Uh, you know, he there's these great great shots of him doing yoga and wearing no show socks and you know the last couple of years i have officially i have effectively become a, a weird assassin person who travels from town to town i have changed the way that i dress and look in order to fit in better with wherever i'm going and to be comfortable and just for ease of access uh my work looks like someone hands me a file i fly to a city I do the thing I'm supposed to do. It's typically very stressful and dangerous, literally dangerous to my life. And then I go home again and start the process all over again. But yeah, this movie is just fucking rules. Highly entertaining. It's super smart. It's funny. Um, The end of it leaves you, you feel a little creeped out at the end for sure. 
um you know this is a really huge year for like all these fucking big hitters coming out of the woodwork and and probably it's the fact that we had a plague for three or four years no one was really able to like bring a lot of their projects to fruition and so yeah we have fucking michael mann and we have martin scorsese and we have david fincher coming out and um this is great. It's like a weird Netflix movie. I don't really mind it that much. Uh, it just has like great production design. It's all these little vignettes of like Michael Fassbender is an assassin and he like goes from Paris to New Orleans to all these different places. And he has, you haven't seen it yet. So I will really try not to spoil it for you. Thank you. Um, you know, he's got an excellent scene with Tilda Swinton. She's, you know, she's, Oh. Her like just like Mads Mikkelsen, I wouldn't say that they're on the same level, but like Mads Mikkelsen, I you could you could see anything he does all the time. He does he takes kind of yep. trashier roles. He makes trashier, cheesier decisions. Yeah, she is top yeah, notch. She sure. fucking does like tight shit mm. only always always always. So I will always and she has like you know a really short role, a really you know a quick cameo, um, but she's really fucking fun. Um, yeah, just the meticulous nature of the character of the narrator is really fun. It's reminiscent of Fight Club. Uh, it's sarcastic. It's dry. He fucking listens to the Smiths like only all the time. Um, so funny. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fucking fun. Like, it's not. <sighs> is it like gonna be a great classic work of cinema? Like, not necessarily, but it's so well made. It's written. It's great. It's I believe it's adapted from a French um, comic book, graphic novel. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, it, which is like huge. You know, super fucking thick. Uh, and 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 uh, from all accounts, is quite different uh, in nature. Mm. You know, this is adapted into like a fucking normal feature length film. But yeah, like, is this maybe David Fincher sort of? commenting on his body of work and where he's going to go next and like is it impo- is it possible for you to be a happy person if you're this serious about your work and and this obsessive and compulsive and flawed but like so you know yeah obsessed with your work like is it possible for you to be a happy person <laughs> can you ever settle right. down like like right. are you like even though you're so obsessed are you even actually good at your job like and does that matter <laughs> you know like do you have to be good in order to be successful i i don't right. think the answer is yes um right so yeah i mean like i don't really have much more to say about that because uh, i've been talking for, for two hours but yeah like watch the fucking killer it's it's just fun. Like great set pieces, great action sequences, great like fight choreography, cool fucking techniques. Cause he's going through all these different, you know, vignettes of like, what is he going to do to this person? What is he getting going to do to that person? And just all the logistics and just the meticulous nature of the character. I think you probably as a neurodivergent person will really appreciate how he lives his life and how he organizes yeah. his life that like, yeah. And, and going back to what I first said when we first started talking about our movies uh, today, um, I just wanted to spend more time with the killer. Like I just wanted to spend more time in this movie and it just, it just drives me back. It's very comfortable. It's just, it's like watching something. It's like watching somebody do something that's really well executed and and it's just very enjoyable in that sense amazing uh yeah no i really i remember seeing the preview for it i remember being like oh i really want to watch this movie and then just didn't have time i don't know what happened yeah um so 
I am feeling like maybe we should do, we should just like really quickly, like run through our honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, then do, uh, can't believe I didn't see this. And then bottom five. Cause like we're on a high note. I don't want to bring it down by talking about our bottom five just yet. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, cool. So, uh, the movies I can't believe. Oh, we're gonna do audible mentions first. I just fucking said yeah. That. And you wanted? Do you um, want to just like list them and just kind of like blast through it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the Wes Anderson rolled dolls shorts uh, were amazing. Uh, so cool. So like well shot. Interesting. Loved them. Uh, a haunting in Venice. I'm a sucker for an Ag- Agatha Christie story. I'm a sucker for a fucking mystery. This new Agatha Christie film series that they're doing is really fun. I loved the remake of um, of the Oriental Express, a killing or uh, uh, um, a night on the Nile, death on the Nile, death on the Nile. Yeah, was really good. I hate that what's her face uh, Gal Gadot is in it, but whatever. Um, and then Haunting in Venice. So good. I fucking loved it. Uh, Barbie, of course, honorable mention. Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. Fucking same uh, production house as Wallace and Gromit. Stop motion animation. Clay. So cool. Very much like low key, high key, like communist manifesto. We're not... we're not free until we're all free. Um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, just incredible animation, incredible art, just like really changing the game. Nimona, which was released on Netflix, was so good, so sweet, like about honesty and truth and who are you really and what is the nature of good and evil and all this stuff. And then this wasn't a movie, but it's, one of the most cinematic things I have seen in years, uh, blue eyed samurai animated series of like hour long episodes about this very, very intense period. Edo Japan, the level of research, the level of historical accuracy, the level of thoughtfulness that went into making the story and then how they produced it. Oh, incredible. Absolutely fantastic. Can't wait to watch it again. I like literally just watched it. So I'm like, can I rewatch it three weeks later? I don't know. So those are my honorable mentions. You absolutely can. You should, you should watch any movie you want to like as many times as possible. My, my memory is giving out on me. So I, I don't, I have no shame in doing that whatsoever. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I feel like the Wes Anderson roll doll shorts were like not really heavily advertised if you don't look at Netflix all the time and they're like kind of right. hard to find. So I definitely want right. to check that out. I fell asleep in the middle of haunting in Ventus in Venice. Um, I started reading the book and, oh. uh, it's funny that character, I forget the main character's name, uh, uh, Poirot. No, not Poirot. In the book, it's the other. It, the lady is the main character. Um, oh, the other, the other writer who's played by Elizabeth Lemon. <laughs> uh, Tina Fey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
there's a couple ones where she's the main character that Agatha, and it's yeah. it's obviously just a stand-in for Agatha Christie. Um, right, exactly. And she's such an awkward fucking weirdo in all of the books where she's yes. the main character because she's just like yeah. she'll just be like sitting at a party and just be like, oh. and just like talking about like things that are going on around her. And she's like, by the way, I'm so sorry I haven't helped with the party. I'm just like, I'm God, I'm so useless. And everyone's like, oh, that's okay. Like you're just really weird. And like, as long as like we don't have to interact with you too much, like you're fine. Like yeah, yeah, no, just just sit in the. Which is actually kind of like what it was like for Agatha Christie. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My. Uh, honorable mentions uh, inside, which is that Willem Dafoe movie where he's like an art thief and he gets trapped mm-hmm. inside of someone's like uh, luxury condo. Um, mm-hmm. I love, a, I love a castaway story like all day, every day. Um, and that's pretty much a castaway story. It's fucking great. Operation fortune, which is like that um, guy, Richie movie. One of the two guy Richie movies that came out this year, you know, it's just, it's a dumb fucking Guy Ritchie movie, like, but it's, you know, Josh Hartnett, Aubrey Plaza, who, like, I definitely have season tickets to Aubrey Plaza. She's always amazing in everything she does. Um, Hugh Grant, Carrie Elwes, Jason Statham, Bugsy Malone. Super fun fucking heist movie shenanigans. I, frankly, can't even remember what it's about, but I, I remember enjoying it. I saw it in theaters. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, like, hell yeah. That was fucking great. That was on my list, too. Yeah, I forgot to write it down, but definitely. Like, I've seen that movie three times. Like, it's almost like right after The Killers. Like, that's easy Sunday, middle of the day. If you're, like, cooking a fucking roast chicken, just yeah. put on Dungeons and Dragons. Like, yeah. Yeah. I saw Ninja Turtles on a plane recently. Like that was a surprisingly fun movie. Um, it's delightful. All the like all the kids that played the turtles were just like super fun. Knock at the cabin was like, uh, you know, that was okay. It was worth a watch, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, Dave Bautista also like. There's just a lot of performances this year from actors that are just like super fucking tight. Like Dave Bautista is always great. Um, yep. Jawan is this, I don't know if you watch like Indian cinema ever, but Jawan is kind of one of these weird India, Indian cinema Count of Monte Cristo sort of movies where it's like this guy, he he's the the warden of a prison of women and he really loves women and he pulls these heists with like his favorite like female prisoners and like (laughs) he's the long lost son of this man who went missing and they're played by the same actor and there's lots of like motorcycle gymnastics and crazy fighting and fucking dance scenes and it's you know i don't know if you ever watch these movies they're always in wide i've seen a couple of them they're always in wide distribution you can always go see them at like an amc theater um yeah and for the like this dude's 43 and he lifts too much weights and like is on steroids and testosterone and he's meant to be like a 25 year old and the dancing and the f- stupid fight scenes and then insane CGI, like it's worth a watch. Like you should, okay. you should see one every once in a while. It's, it's definitely worth it. Boy in the Heron I saw last night. That was a fucking magical movie. Um, I haven't seen it yet and I'm pissed. Gotta go see that on the big screen. Um, we saw yep. it, I saw it last night at the Jaffe Art Theater at uh, Village East Angelica, which is an old, like ornate, you know, mid-century theater. Um, Bo is Afraid, I really liked. I like fuck. I like fucked up Ari Aster movies. Um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, I, he's just, he's always good. <laughs> he was, you know, He's making me think of his ridiculous performance in Napoleon this year, but he just he he had some good fucking performances this year. I I, I love him. Um, you know, just the scene where the woman's like, I forget this. 
this girl in a bedroom is trying to get him to like have sex with her or something. And then she's just like calls him a faggot and drinks paint until she dies. Like I just like, I, I just, <laughs> I just loved it. I loved all the weird, you know, being John Balkovich of it all. Um, couldn't, didn't really, couldn't really justify it in my top five. Um, but it was fun. Napoleon also honorable mention. Cause just horses and bicorn hats and, having sex in 90 seconds and just all of it. It was just great. You know? Um, so speaking of movies I haven't seen that I'm fucking pissed about, um, I, I can't, or I can't believe I didn't see this yet. Poor things, mm. obviously. Um, holdovers. I haven't gotten to see that yet. Holdovers is in, uh, it would be in my honorable mentions and that was a lovely movie and you definitely should watch it. Godzilla minus one. We talked about that. Boy and the Heron, fucking, I'm, I just, both stars have not aligned yet. We were going to go see it on Wednesday and then our project was still happening. It was a whole thing. Um, Past Lives, I really want to see. So we're going to watch that. Priscilla has gotten not a lot of publicity, but largely I think due to the fact that it is shedding a lot of light on how shitty Elvis Presley was to Priscilla and that people are not pleased about that um the american fiction i just we just haven't i haven't seen it in one of our theaters yet Mm. um but that movie looks fucking stellar um zone of interest which is on a super limited release has not come to chicago yet so there's no way we could have seen it and then for funny reasons i have also Two Nicolas Cage movies that I didn't realize he was also in, The Retirement Plan and The Old Way, both of which look awesome for different reasons. The Retirement Plan just looks like, it looks ridiculous on the level of like a bullet train. Okay. Like, just like so stupid, but so funny. Um, And then Cocaine Bear, because also so stupid, so funny, but. I'm pretty sure it's based on a real story. Seems like it. Yeah. <laughs> about how maybe. this bear fucking got into some cocaine and just went on a rampage. So that sounds hilarious. Yeah, that would be on my list as well. Um, do you see Renfield this year at all? Yes, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> Although there was a Twitter controversy about it because some artist was like, this is literally my short film that I made when I was in college. <laughs> like, and he like put his up, like the video of it up. And it was like basically the same film. Um, past lives. Definitely got to watch that. It's, it's, it's not something you need to see in the big screen. So I don't think you right. missed out there, but like it fucking takes place in my neighborhood, which is fun. Um, but yeah, that's, you will cry a lot for sure. Lovely movie, beautifully written. Um, I definitely want to see American fiction. Zone of interest I definitely want to see because I also saw, you know, she was in Anatomy of a Fall, which was a fantastic movie. Um, That's also on my list to see. Yeah, that was a really good one. Um, I definitely want to see Zone of Interest. Um, yeah, I mean, Nicolas Cage, he's he, he's doing so many fun choices these days yeah. that it's just yeah. great. Um, yeah, Zone of Interest was mine. All of us strangers. Um, I really want to see, which is seems like it's like the story of this guy who like goes back to visit his his house he grew up in and he's visiting his parents who are dead and it's like he was visiting their ghosts um Mm. no hard feelings is that movie about you know the woman who like i don't know gets paid by this guy's 
19 year old man's parents to like take his virginity. Um, but it's just like a good old fashioned sex comedy, which you don't okay, get much right. of anymore. This is Jennifer yep. Lawrence and uh, she doesn't do funny things and she's very funny. And so like, it's just like a straight down the line, like fucking comedy about Jennifer Lawrence, like building some sort of weird relationship with a 19 year old boy. And cool. that looks fucking fun. Monster, which is, I think, a Japanese film about a child who's being abused by his teacher at school. Um, Sound of Freedom. Uh, I just, I really, you know, this is a whole phenomenon and I could not justify either, you know, paying money to see this movie nor inflating its box office numbers when it was coming out. I just couldn't do it. Um it's that weird Jim Kravitzel fucking QAnon movie that just did really, really well at the box oh. office. And I just could not justify, I, I would like to see it, but I, yeah. at the time I just couldn't justify it. Um, Perfect days. Strange way of life is the Ethan Hawke. Um, and our friends from the man. <laughs> oh my God. My brain is literally just shutting down at this point. Hold on. Well, good. We only have to talk <laughs> about the movies that we absolutely would not, are not going to see. Let- Next, so. Okay, good. Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. It's like a gay western movie. Oh yes, yeah, yes. And so okay. that's one that I wish I could have seen. And Renaissance, the Beyonce movie. Amazing. Yep. Um. Uh. What are your movies that you just won't watch? Just could not. Just yeah. couldn't do it. I tried Pope's Exorcist, and I was just like, I can't do this. I just really can't. Um, Fair enough. You people, that fucking, I don't know, movie looked really dumb. Fair Play was just some like weird romantic erotic thriller that was on Netflix that I just didn't like the look of. Sound of Freedom also, I just couldn't, like I said, I just couldn't do it. Um, the Eras Tour, uh, I don't know anything about Taylor. Not a Swifty. Yeah, Not a Swifty. Didn't even want to try. And then Jean Dubarry was a Johnny Depp movie that came out this year. That was, Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I just like, couldn't do that. Um, although it looks, I was like, you know, this looks like this could be fun, but, um, let's just not go there. It might be kind of stupid. Most likely. Um, yeah. So mine are not because like, they don't look so atrocious, but there's, I just get like, I just have feelings about them. Yeah. So like infinity pool, the previews that I saw of it, just, it, it doesn't it does not seem like a movie i would enjoy it has like a very um who's the famous actor whose last name starts with a k famous for body horror oh cronenberg yeah it's it's um so it has a very cronenberg-esque sort of vibe to it at least from the trailer it's his son it's cronenberg's son oh it's baby cronenberg okay there you go um so probably not gonna watch that uh, Bo is afraid. I can't. I, Ari Aster's stuff, like, it makes me have this feeling of, like, cringe and uncomfortable. I've, I literally won't watch his films. I've not seen anything that he's made. And then Trevin made me go and see uh, a dream scenario, and it was produced by him. Mm. And I was like, no fucking wonder this movie made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> this movie was not funny. People are like, it's so funny. And I'm like, I didn't think it was that funny. I was really uncomfortable the whole time. Um, so, yeah, 
the I'm good. Uh, the Flash, because obviously just no trash, terrible. 65. I love Adam Driver. They fucked up on that goddamn preview. Like they gave away the fucking answer in the preview. I don't need to see the movie anymore. I know what happened. Like they could have had that be a reveal and it would have been I probably would have seen it because I do love Adam Driver. I love sci-fi. I love all of that. But they fucked up. I agree. That trailer. Well, that you would think that that trailer spoiled the movie, but it didn't. Oh, dun dun. Like they get off the planet. So you're just like, okay, I guess. I don't know. What does that mean? It's just like I saw that movie. It was fun. Fucking it's just like exactly like you would expect. Right. Adam. But I, I don't think Adam Driver knew what movie he was in in that movie i like him and like the, the you know his is the 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 woman that he was working with like i think they're in separate movies and adam driver was just like not didn't really know what he was doing which is really a stark thing to say for adam driver who is like an mvp all the time you know he's he's right always fucking amazing um yeah but like they they tell you that they he's in 65 million years in the past they show you the dinosaur in the pre yeah that's the part that pissed me off. They jumped the shark. That could have, that could have been, that just could have been the mystery. Mm-hmm. That could have just been in the film, and I could have just been mad in the film. I mean, how how uh, fulfilling would it have been if all of a sudden it was dinosaurs and they're on Earth, and you're like, oh holy shit, this is the best. Like that would have been amazing, you know? It would have been cool yeah. if it was like. But like they just, I don't know. I that just made me mad, and it takes a, it honestly takes a lot for me to, um, to not watch bad films, mm-hmm. as you're going to um, discover because of my worst category. Uh, are all films that most people probably said something to the effect of "absolutely not, <laughs> I will not touch this with a ten foot pole." But I watched Rebel Moon. Uh huh. Terrible. Yeah, so bad. What the f- it was what like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> okay, it's the dude who did the Superman, and there was all the controversy about how Snyder. So it's Zack Snyder. Snyder, mm. yep, Zack Snyder. He made the f- the film that star. He made the Star Wars that Disney didn't want to make. Quote unquote. Like it's too dark to be Star Wars. He pitched it three times to Disney, and they said no all three times. It's like watching a a series of video game cutscenes. Like there's no story. There's no like. There's no character development. It's literally just like boss fights it's a film of boss fights <laughs> okay. and it's like it's like if warhammer 40k had been made to be sort of a space western okay but literally like it's trash okay also not the best movie that's ever been made the creator it was beautifully shot it was there's a lot of like really interesting commentary on how they filmed it because they used really accessible technology to film it. The, uh, the, the character, like the actors were pretty good actors. Like I think it's Ken, somebody, some, some, some famous actors are in, but the, the story, I figured it out 20 minutes into the movie, like what the whole deal was. Like I knew 
I knew what the story was be- well before the end. Um, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, you also have this on your list. I was so fucking disappointed by that movie. It, I love the first two Ant-Man movies. I thought they were just so fucking hilarious. Paul Rudd, he is a man out of time, much like Tilda Swinton. I don't know what's going on, but they're not aging. And, like, it's weird. And he's so funny. He's so charismatic. This movie was fucking trash. (laughs) Like, I was so disappointed. They went through all of this effort to have Kang be the big big bad, only for Jonathan Majors to be, like, uh, convicted of uh, battery and assault and be written out of the MCU completely by the end of Loki. Sorry, spoilers, anybody who hasn't seen Loki yet, but, like, Kang is not the big bad anymore. Jonathan Majors is out of the MCU. Like, it's just, you know, I was just really fucking disappointed. A giant wet fart. I mean, it, it seems so cynical to me. Just the design of Ant-Man, Quantumania, Ant-Man and then the Wasp, Mm -hmm. Quantumania, because it felt so much like Rick and Morty. And it just Mm, seemed mm -hmm. like they were just like, humping the Rick and Morty of it all. And it seemed, and I get it. Like the visuals that they developed in Rick and Morty, which is a show that I do enjoy um, are like kind of groundbreaking and funny and very new and surprising and and delightful. And I get it that they're like, Oh, people like this. And I think that maybe some of the same creative team um, was involved in Ant-Man movie, but it just seems so cynical that they would just, capitalize on that and also like everything was like so big that it was all at a scale and like i just yeah. couldn't tell when they were big or small and there's one point when paul like it was in question and so they just had paul rudd be like oh you're huge to his daughter and you're just like oh that's because this this is a fucked up movie visually and no one understands what's going on and it's yeah it's right. just it, it's like illegible as a film yeah um yeah. yes yeah, that's definitely on there for me. Um, but oh, hypnotic! <laughs> this, did you see this movie? <laughs> hypnotic is the new. Um, like I said, my brain's falling apart. It's the same director who did Desperado. We covered him already this year. Paul Rodriguez. Um, it stars Ben Affleck. Uh, I cannot tell you what it's about. It's insane. <laughs> I started watching it on a plane. And then the seat got broken and it wouldn't shut off. And I just unplugged it and I was hung over and I just stared at it silently for like 90 minutes straight until it was over. <sighs> it was the worst day of my life, I think. Oh, man. Um, Fast X was a giant wet fart. That was fucking horrible. Yep. Um, Expendables yeah. 4. I tried watching it there again on a plane recently and I was like, this is fucking horrible. Um, yeah. The Flash, you know, for the whole... You know, gosh, I did love to see Michael Keaton as Batman again. You know, I'm that was I could actually recite the Michael Keaton Batman movie like verbatim right now if you wanted me oh, to. Wow. So, yeah, like that's, you know, I was a little boy growing up. Yeah. So yep. I watch that all the time. But fucking. Yeah, just speaking of like uh, actors that should be written out of whole franchises and 
frankly out of Hollywood altogether and like should never have be able to make another movie and we should never have to look at that man's fucking face. He's yeah. he's a good one. Um and also yeah. he just was like so annoying. The character's so annoying and unbelievable and who cares? Fuck off. Yeah. RIP DC universe. Exactly. Let's see what happens. All right. Well, we made it. We made it. What was your rate? What was your Yeah, what's my what's your score for the year? 490. What a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I I'm going to say I'm going to say 4 475. Okay. Just cuz there there were a couple of farts that were slated to be like really good and then there was a bunch of surprises. Yeah. Um Netflix is a film studio. That was a surprise. <laughs> Who fucking knew? They did some good ones this year. Um, yeah. Apple TV, like Apple as like a TV slash film studio has been really surprising. I know we don't talk about TV on this film, po- on this film podcast, but I watch a lot of serialized television and, and Apple has been doing some really fucking cool shit. Um, but yeah, 475 like a couple of letdowns but overall just really great real bang every year absolutely yeah absolutely um well thank you for being here with us for another episode of we're spanning time since you made it this far please comment rate subscribe and in case you need to be reminded i don't believe in magic wombat but a few times in my life i've seen things things i can't explain and I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe. It's how hard you believe it. And in case you need to be reminded by me, who abandoned Snoopy in the vestibule? Who abandoned Snoopy in the vestibule? <laughs> I love old timey voices. That's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Beth Martini, Excellent. thank you for another good episode. Thank you, Bo Catino, and I'll see you in a shorter period of time than seven months.